0: Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel episode number 488. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M.
1: And I'm Lorraine Sink, human woman, friend to all, except for enemies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, those enemies? Get out, go live (laughs) in a dumpster. No, that's me. Go live in a smelly shoe. How about that?
1: Yeah, with the old lady and all her kids.
0: Uh, Be a better dad. (laughs) Wait, now this is a story that just spiraling out of control. (laughs) Hi, everybody. We're going to tell you all about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever.
1: Yeah, I like this mellow Ryan.
0: You know, it's time for a little NPR twim. Hey, Ryan. Yes, Lorraine
1: there's something that you have been talking about for a while about your sweet, sweet baby boy. I would expect you'd be bringing the the thunder today. Yes.
0: Oh, you better believe it, Lorraine, because right as we were releasing last week's episode, it was too late, the buttons were pushed, it was getting into your ears, all you wonderful listeners on SiriusXM, the news was dropping at the same exact time as our episode was going out, Marvel's MODOK. Coming to Hulu has a release date. And had a brand new trailer that went along with it. You can get your eyeballs all over my sweet Modoc on Friday, <laughs> May 21st. All 10 episodes. Binge them immediately or else is all I have to say to you.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. The trailer is very cute and very funny. I'm obsessed with Modoc's daughter.
0: Yeah, she's great cuz she's a little Modoc. She's in her chair, but Modoc's son is not is like just a normalish teen boy which is obviously not normal at all. All teenish boys are something, I will say that.
1: Melissa Tarleton, his daughter, total goals, life goals, be a little lady in a floaty chair situation with the cuteness and the cell phone, I'm into it.
0: It's a good look, it's fun. It's just something so wonderful and quirky about this that people aren't fully ready for. I know that co-creator of the show, Jordan Bloom, posted on his Instagram and his Twitter the great pictures of the cookies that Hulu sent to him. They are shaped like the family. It made me think of it because the Melissa, they made the cookie of her hover chair headband. They actually put her like... Different had been than the one that Modoc has. It's really cute. It's wonderful. And the giant Modoc cookie that they made. And he's like, my kids ate these in about five minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, everybody go watch it on May 21st. Also, a big week over on Disney Plus.
0: Of course, Marvel Studios WandaVision Episode 8, available to watch on Disney Plus. That was last week. And now, depending on when you're listening to this, the big finale is either available or is about to be. So we're not going to say, we can't, we, we don't want to say anything. Nothing. I don't want to spoil anything. Nada. No. Uh, 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 but it's, yeah, it's awesome.
1: Please just watch it <laughs> and then... We'll talk about it. And then also look out for Marvel Studios Assembled, the making of WandaVision that comes out on March 12th, which comes out the week, the following Friday after. That's going to be all about the making of the show. There's so much cool magic in this show. There's so many cool behind the scenes things that I can't wait for people to see how they put this show together because it was so smart. Definitely go check that out.
0: Yeah. And then you're like, oh, all right, have a breather. I can mm-hmm. relax after mm-hmm. these amazing couple of weeks of Marvel Studios goodnesses on Disney+. Plus. But we say thee nay because then the next week after that, it's the premiere of Marvel Studios' Falcon and the Winter Soldier.
1: It sure is. I mean, listen, just come back on Fridays to Disney+. Plus. There is going to probably be some Marvel goodness there for you that you haven't watched yet. We'll be waiting for you. We're here with open arms. That's right.
0: And look, what better way to enjoy your time on Disney Plus watching Marvel magic then with some Marvel merch because as we've been doing after every episode there are articles on the website marvel.com with links to tons of really cool merch
1: yeah okay so if you have not watched this episode we're going to say a phrase that's all over the internet and it might spoil something for you if you're waiting to watch the series so you know skip forward like 30 seconds to a minute you've been warned
0: because there's a whole bunch of Agatha all along merch, just sitting there, being amazing, looking incredible. T-shirts and cups and phone cases, and it's the hit of the season. It's the jam of the summer.
1: And if you watch the episode that came out last Friday, also look out for some new pops. There's gonna be an Agatha pop in a new look that she has in that episode, no spoilers. There is going to be a The Vision pop in his other look, we'll mm-hmm, say. Mm-hmm, I don't want to mm-hmm. spoil anything if you haven't caught up on that episode yet. And then there's also going to be that version of the Vision from Marvel Legends. But go to marvel.com slash must-haves, and you can see the whole bunch of them.
0: That Marvel Legends figure is gorgeous. And speaking of Marvel Legends, I just got in the Spider-Man wave that has the Stiltman build a figure I know you love your stilt man and lady Yeah, lady, stilt, lady stilt, man. stilt man
1: is my favorite stilt man. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I was very excited. I'm going to build me a stilt man.
1: That's sick. It's the really big tall one, right?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Ryan, I know you love a good Marvel legend, and I'm very excited for this because I am pumped for Marvel Studios Black Widow. Hasbro has introduced Marvel Legends six-inch Red Guardian and Melina Vostokov figure two-pack. It's inspired, of course, by Marvel Studios Black Widow, and they are now available at the Hasbro Pulse website and at all other major retailers. So look out for those. Get them in your collection. I love, I love a Marvel legend. Heck yeah. Also, this is really cool. A shout out to Ruth E. Carter. She is the costume designer for Marvel Studios Black Panther, and she is getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Her work is so phenomenal. She won the first Oscar for the MCU for her costume design for Marvel Studios Black Panther. She's an icon in the industry, and kudos to her on being emblazoned in the Walk of Fame. Heck yeah.
0: All right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about Marvel Comics, because one thing that we got excited about was we saw a little bit of a preview for the upcoming Alien number no. one comic, which is coming out March 24th. You could see a bunch of images on Marvel.com and you can get some details. The creative team is really good. It's Philip Kennedy Johnson and Salvador LaRoca, and they're telling an all new tale of the titan of horror and science fiction that has scared audiences for decades. Oh, that, that actually was a Pretty good, like grindhousey yeah. uh, uh, announcer. Ooh, I, I should yeah. tap into that more often. So for the this Alien series, it's pretty cool because it's a new story. So the new series will introduce readers to Gabriel Cruz, who years ago almost literally gave his life to Waylon Utani when he barely survived an alien attack. And it follows him recently retired. He's trying to patch things up with his abandoned son with the help of his friend, a Bishop model android. But things don't go so smoothly, and his encounters with the xenomorph are far from over. No one is safe. No one is innocent, and no one can hear you scream. <laughs> See the terrors in store in this all-new thrilling trailer. So you can watch the trailer, and it's not narrated by me. Thankfully, nobody needs that.
1: You went like almost full pirate.
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, look, I, I can't hold on to it. It's like uh, it's like capturing a ghost and it's slipping out of my hands, like as you do, you know. <laughs>
1: Yep. You know, when you try to grab a ghost with your hands. Yep. That old adage.
0: Yeah, that's right. I also wanted to make sure everybody knew about Deadpool Black, White, and Blood, which was announced during the Deadpool nerdy 30 virtual event that I hosted for Marvel Unlimited Plus subscribers. It went on for a little over two hours. We had a lot of fun, some amazing guests, everyone from I had a chat with Rob Liefeld, which we put in there, but I talked to Fabian Nisieza and Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis, Gail Simone and Daniel Way, Jerry Duggan, Brian Posehn, Mike Hawthorne and CB Cebulski in different segments talking about their different eras that they worked on the character in in ways. And then CB helped reveal the new book so it's deadpool black white and blood which is this line of books that we've been doing we did wolverine we have carnage coming out and now the deadpool one which is going to come out in august 2021 the idea is they do black and white stories but the only color that they use is red which was primarily used for blood
2: blood blood
0: Blood. (laughs) it's going to be a hoot They've done some dynamite stories. I, I talked about it on Marvel's pull list, but there's a story in one of the Wolverine issues that John Ridley writes, which is one of my favorite stories we've put out of late. And it's really freaking good. It's And these are short, like eight to 10 page stories. It's dynamite, dynamite comic.
1: Yeah, well then go check those out. Speaking of publishing, Infinite Destinies is on the way and I'm excited because it is heralding the long awaited return of the Infinity Stones. It's gonna be told over eight, totally exciting and adventurous annual issues. So it's gonna kick off in Iron Man annual number one, and then it's gonna continue into Captain America annual number one, and then into Black Cat annual number one. There's gonna be some great talent attached as well. Look out for it kicking off, as I said, in June and going through July and August. It's gonna be awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Lorraine, did you read 10 of Swords? I read 10 Swords. Wow, all 10 Swords you read, but... If you missed all those 10 swords, which were divided into 23 parts of comic books, you can now read the entire story, whether it's in your single issues that came out a little while ago, or all 23 parts are now available in Marvel Unlimited. And the collection is now available in comic shops. So the best way to read it right now is just like one thick story, binge it, and just go through it.
1: You know, get into those thick stories.
0: Yeah, thick swords.
1: I want everybody to check out Marvel's Declassified this week. We've got a cool uh, bonus episode. We actually are closing out the season with a bonus from our last full episode. We did a whole episode about the evolution of fandom the week before. So this week, we have a new bonus with George RR Martin. Yes, a man from a Game of Throne, if you will. And he, oh my god, Ryan. Yes. The amount of stuff he knows about comics is bucket nuts. I know. He grew up being the same age as Spider-Man. And he read all of those stories as if it were, you know, sort of commiserating with his own life, which is wild. And him and Len Wein, like, grew up in the same area and, like, became friends through comic books when they were kids. Like, his stories are just wild and really, really cool. So I have a clip of Evan Narciss, my co-host, and I talking with George RR R. Martin about what it was like to be a Marvel fan in the 1960s in New York. Would you mind reading us your letter that was featured in Fantastic Four number 32?
3: Sure. <laughs> Dear Stan and Jack, ho-hum, another month, another bunch of classics. But then what else can one expect from you chaps? I loved that chaps, I was like putting on my fake British thing so that Bayonne, New jersey kit. Anyway, Fantastic Four number 29 was once again sublime with the beautiful Kirby Stone artwork, giving just the right impact to Stan's sparkling script. As for that last panel on page 11, I could rave all day and still not run out of words. When my little eyes first glinted hungrily at that panel, Hydrogen bombs exploded inside my brain, and I was swept away by the sheer magnificence of it. I, yeah, You've got to wonder why they printed these letters. <laughs> this is so critical. Um, please, fellas, don't do that too often unless you want to see me die young. However, I regret to inform you that I found one flaw in this otherwise perfect masterpiece. A flaw that is, regrettably, very common with you. When we last saw the red ghost in Fantastic Four number 13, he was stuck on the moon, being chased around by 3 superpowered apes, livid with hatred, and waving Mr. Fantastic's paralyzer ray at him. Now, suddenly, you bring him back in full control of his apes without one single word of explanation. This isn't the first time you brought back a villain without properly explaining how. You did it when you revived the puppet master in Fantastic Four number 14 after Reed had pronounced him dead in Fantastic Four number 8. Some scientists. Can't even tell whether a chap is living or dead, but bright enough to come up with a super amplified, cosmic powered radioactive doohickey ray at a moment's notice. In conclusion, I wish you good luck on all forthcoming books, but Stan, don't pull any more returning villains out of your hat. Next time, tell us how they remade the scenes, okay? Okay. <laughs> and now, look, this one is signed George R.R. R. Martin. So somewhere between 1963 and 1964, I started using that second R, which uh, was my confirmation name. I mean, I was born George Raymond Martin, but I was raised Catholic, and at age 13, you take a, you have confirmation, and you take another name. So, uh, I took a confirmation name, and at some point there, I started using it. So that's cool. And Stan replied here: Wow, are our faces red. You want the truth, Georgie? I don't like the Georgie. Uh, We just plain forgot where we last left Red Ghost and didn't have time to look the issue up because the printer was breathing down our necks with our deadline. But suppose we offer another generous no prize to the reader who can come up with the best explanation of how he saved himself. That ought to win the sneakiest editor award of the year. <laughs> now that was annoying because he offered a no prize to whoever could explain the mistake but I didn't get a no prize. Where's my no prize?
1: <laughs> Did you ever get one?
3: I don't think so, no.
1: <laughs> we might know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> what a delight.
0: I do know that you talking to him, you and Evan have uh taken away time he could be using to write another book, but it is in the service of talking about Marvel, so it is a good endeavor. So thank you for that. Uh, For everybody who wants to listen to the full bonus episode, you can get Marvel's Declassified right now on the SiriusXM app and desktop player.
1: Yeah, check it out. Also, hey, Ryan, you know what's happening this month?
0: I'm going to eat 10 burritos.
1: That is true, but not what I was hinting at. Oh. Um this month is for the ladies. It's Women's History Month and it's International Women's Day coming up next Monday. So, you know, I just wanted to remind everybody to look out for some cool stuff coming up on marvel.com and the Marvel social channels in celebration. And of course, you should also listen to our sibling podcast, The Women of Marvel. They're bi-weekly wherever you get your podcasts, including SiriusXM, just like us.
0: They're terrific. You know, I feel like Maybe we'll talk to them soon uh, on this here show, get a little update from the Women of Marvel, which is always a delight. And and there's the Women of Marvel comic that's coming out soon, too.
1: Yeah, so keep an eye out for those.
0: Yeah. All right, it is time for this week's interview, and our guest is Tom Scholey. He's done a, a bunch of Marvel comics and other really great comics, but we are here to talk to him about his biography about Jack the King Kirby, which is called... Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. And we're doing this to celebrate 80 years of Captain America, which is wonderful. And what a great reason to talk about Cap, which means it's a great reason to talk about Jack Kirby. So uh, this is a fun piece. I absolutely love this book. I'm a big fan of Tom's work. His art is heavily influenced by Jack Kirby. Of course, this one is a really wonderful look at Jack's life and his thoughts. And it's a great perspective because it's done in comic book style. So it's, it's really special.
1: I love that. Let's take a listen.
0: All right. We now have on the show, Tom Sholey, who is the writer and artist of Jack Kirby, the epic life of the king of comics. Tom, can you tell us a little bit about the book, what it is, the, the concept and uh, how you started to embark on this project?
2: Yeah, it's I'm um, telling, you know, Jack Kirby's story and um telling it from his point of view. Uh what I was really trying to get at was um you know, you'd hear these stories about people showing like fans showing up at Jack's house unannounced and you know, spending the afternoon there and and you know, Roz makes everybody sandwiches and 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 Kirby tells you stories about uh the war and the early days of comics and and philosophy. And so I always, you know, like I was always jealous when I'd hear these stories. Like I always wanted to have that kind of experience. And so this is kind of like almost like a wish fulfillment. Like me as the writer and artist of this book, and then the reader also gets to kind of spend an afternoon with Jack Kirby. And he he tells you his story and and in in like a sort of uh you know very um unguarded and very like frank way.
0: In case. Somebody who listens to our show is like, huh, "I've heard the name Jack Kirby, but who is Jack Kirby?" From your perspective, who's Jack Kirby?
2: I guess the way to describe him is just describe like what he created and co-created. He is the co-creator of Captain America with Joe Simon and the Vision around the, the same time too, and then uh, he co-created with Stan Lee pretty much the Marvel Universe, uh, Fantastic Four, X Men. The Avengers, Iron Man, along with uh, Don Heck too. He he had a, a role to play in the creation of Spider-Man even. And then in the 70s, created Darkseid and that whole universe of characters, the new gods, forever people, Mr. Miracle, and then uh, went back to Marvel and returned to, to like, like the, the Black Panther. He created the Black Panther and returned to the Black Panther in the 70s. So, I mean, he's just uh, this like comics creator- writer and artist who, you know, created most of the characters you love.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is that is a very accurate. He's created most of the characters you love and is a, had a has a hand in your fandom if you are at all a Marvel fan. It's great. I love celebrating Jack Kirby's work. You know, I, I think about this a lot as like what is I try to rack my brain about what is the first time I saw jack's work because i grew up reading comics in the 80s and early 90s that was when i first really got into comics and i remember more jack's work from my childhood from him starting like doing stuff with the image guys because that was when that was blowing up and you know trade paperbacks and collections weren't like the hot thing back at that time, so for you, Tom, do you remember the first Jack Kirby story you read or the first time you realized, oh, this is a Jack Kirby
2: work? Yeah, I mean, my first encounter with Jack Kirby's work was the early 80s TV animation that he did. So it would've been Thunder the Barbarian, Turbo Teen, Goldie Gold in Action Jack, Mr. T, like that body of work. I didn't know who Jack Kirby was. I didn't know his role in any of it at that time. And then the first like Jack Kirby comic that I remember reading was the um, Marvel Treasury Edition Thor that uh, retells the story of the Mangog and the near Ragnarok. And again, I still didn't know the Jack Kirby name. Jack Kirby's name was in that book. It was right there. But I saw Stan Lee's name and recognized that name. So I didn't like think or explore any further than that. It's like okay, this is a Stan Lee comic, I, as far as I understood at the time. And then I really like came to reckon with Jack Kirby and who he was around the time he died, because then you know that's when people were really talking about him. And you know, I remember the New Yorker. Uh, like I, I had a subscription to the New Yorker through through my school in high school, and I remember the Gary Panther Tribute to Jack and stuff, and and some of like my friends who are like more educated in comics, you know, knew about Jack Kirby. So I kind of got an inkling of him there. And then, you know, maybe like a year or less later, uh, I was at a comic book store, and and they had sort of like a Jack Kirby section, and I saw the Jack Kirby collector, and I saw the Art of Jack Kirby book. And then started reading that stuff, you know, on, on the shelf at the store, and was like just blown away. As like, okay, this is who Jack Kirby is. This is what he did, and I had no idea just how deep it goes.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, I like that you say you had no idea how deep it goes because I, I feel you know I've worked at Marvel for almost fourteen years, and then I was reading your book, the Kirby biography, Jack Kirby: The Epic Life of the King of Comics. And that still, like, opened a ton of stuff that I had no idea about. And somehow just missed and, and like, one of the things that smacked me in the face was the, the, some of that animation, particularly turbo teen. Cause like I, as a kid, that was like this cool, weird thing. And then it, as I got older, it was just stuck in my head of like, that's such a weird idea and I love it. And visually I could see that transformation even though I hadn't watched the cartoon for years. And then I'm reading the book and reading the book and I get to that part. It was like that weird feeling of, of course, Jack helped create this because it it and it was stuck in my brain. It was like, it was just such a beautiful moment and, and finding out about that among all the things. It's like the well seems to never end of how deep it goes with Jack's work.
2: Yeah, you know, there's the Jack Kirby Collector magazine. And it's like, just when you think, they've uncovered everything they'll hit on some new lost gem you know some unpublished thing or or they you know peel back Pasted up off of an old page, and you see some, you know, sequence that that you've never seen before. It's it's pretty astounding that that Jack Kirby well seems like it goes down forever. You know, like like something out of his comics, like one of these like bottomless pits that like Eulic would fall down or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I I'm also a, a big fan of your work. You know, Godland and uh, Transformers GI Joe man, I freaking love that book so much. It rules so hard. Uh, fantastic Four Grand Design was fantastic and reading that i was like man i I wish tom would do more for marvel uh and then thinking about this and for for our listeners you know how much of kirby's work do you think influences your own whether it's storytelling or figures or just just in general
2: yeah i don't i don't know that it would be possible to extricate the jack kirby influence from my work I, i mean when I first started making comics, I was very deliberately studying his work and deliberately setting out to emulate his work. Uh, I still study his work, and I, I still um, love it, and, and I just read it for enjoyment, but I don't—I'm not trying to look like Kirby anymore. It's just become part of, you know, my, my uh, you know, soul or something, it's, you know, part <laughs> of my—you know, it's just in there, so, like, it, I can't help but— but have that influence come out so so maybe it's not so much on the surface anymore but yeah the ways of approaching composition page layout panel composition but then also you know what's inside the panel you know just um having sort of like the figure dominate and you know the the three-dimensional quality uh, you know just yeah it's it's there
0: yeah it's just like the sense of movement that jack could evoke in in anything or just there's a feeling of action, of energy, even if it's, you know, two people just talking. There's something to it. It feels like you can you can feel the kinetic energy around it.
2: It pulses and it moves and it doesn't. Comics is a static medium. Those pictures aren't moving, but a Jack Kirby picture really does move. There's like a weird optical illusion going on, um, you know, especially... When he's presented in the right way, or like inked by somebody like a, like a Mike Royer or, or a John Fair Putin, like somebody who really gets the idiosyncrasies of Kirby, it really does look like it's in motion.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you bring up the inkers because that was something that I enjoyed seeing the perspective in the book about you know who Kirby's favorite inker was, and as I was going through a lot of work last year, I I kept going back to. Chick Stone's inks uh, with Jack. And I really like those for me are some of my favorites on on the X-Men pages. Like there's something really cool about the line work that Chick lets him, you know, helps embellish what Jack is doing. Who's your favorite inker to go with Jack?
2: I I love Chick Stone also. Like I, I, and I think he's like really underrated and he does, it is kind of that like pop art Kirby. And I love that, like those like thick outlines he puts on everything. It just kind of like really, you know, creates that that 3D illusion I mean my favorite is Mike Royer like it's his inking like really captures Kirby's idiosyncrasies real and amplifies Kirby's personality like it it really um it burns the images in, in in your retina like like he just like the way he applies black is like so thick and precise and it's not a surprise that you know Kirby had expressed, that, you know, he's, he's his favorite. And like, I, I, I really love it. it. It, it, it emphasizes like the alien quality of Kirby's stuff. I mean, like the, the listeners can't see this, but behind you is, you know, the double page splash from Eternals number two, I think maybe, or, and it's Arishem, the space God, and it's inked by Royer. And it just, it looks phenomenal. It, it looks like, like nothing you've ever seen before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I... I I've had the pleasure of talking with uh, Neil Kirby, Jack's son, at the uh, premiere for Marvel Studios' *Avengers: Endgame*, and I we did a quick two or three minute chat on the on the press line. And I was just like, "Look, you know, I love your dad's work. Just thank you for everything." And I I love the Celestials so much. And he's like, "I do too. Arashem is my favorite." I was like, oh, yes." It's just like. That love that Neil has and having that conversation, I'm really excited for fans to understand and see more of Eternals.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Eternals being a movie because, you know, plenty of Kirby's co-creations have like made it to the big screen and stuff. But as far as I know, this is the first Kirby soul creation. That's that's a big deal. That's that's really something. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's I, I'm excited and like for all the fans to read this Eternals for the first time, and and see the the collections that are out there and and find their find it and be like, oh wow!
2: Yeah, because I think I mean Eternals is under the radar. Like it's it's not really well known. It's it's not that well read. Even like New Gods was kind of obscure for a while, but that's kind of become more on people's radar. But I think I think Eternals is like still. You know, and so yeah, I'm excited about about you know, just like a general audience connecting with such a great body of work, which is so it's so jack like it it really is his his kind of thing,
0: yeah, you know, talking about some of the sort of under the radar stuff as I was reading your book, I, you know, like we get into the early part, of course, it's biography, so we see Jack's earlier days, but really like the, the time period that you explore with Jack learning his craft, being at the different studios, I've you know heard bits and pieces, but then like actually like detailing this story that he worked on and that story that he worked on. Some of those really early pieces had to have been super tough to find. What is the research like for specifically his pre-Marvel work?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, who was really helpful that way was Greg Theakston. He made it sort of like his life's work in a lot of ways to document those like really, really early, early, early old Kirby stuff and collect them and get them in front of people and, and, and make them available. So he had Kirby's like early comic strips, uh, you know, things that like some of this stuff might not have even gotten any kind of release, but, but certainly like his early comic strip stuff, it was for like this, um, you know, fourth tier, comic syndicator, you know, that wasn't in very many papers to begin with, but you, you can read it. And, you know, there's probably like a couple other sources, but the, the Greg, Greg Theakston really was from very early on, he, he, you know, made it a point to shine a light on that stuff.
0: It's, it's amazing that, and I'm thankful for folks like that. And like, it's hard to explain that to someone young now who has access to the internet, who has access to a lot of materials, you know, thinking, If you were putting this book together longer ago, how much more difficult it could have been. And now having these resources and and stuff around is is incredible. And I was also thinking about those World War II stories that Jack was telling. I was talking with another Marvel creator who's a writer and he's active duty US Army. And we were talking about Captain America and and how he's written a Captain America story that I was like, it, it felt very real in a way, because you've had that kind of experience. And as I was doing, I was researching that, I was, I was reading your book and thinking, looking at how the experiences that you recount in the book, man, what were some of the, the places where you got some of those quotes and those stories from? Because it is horrifying what Jack saw.
2: Yeah, I mean, Kirby would tell these uh, like war stories to pretty much anybody who would listen, you know, that was like, you know, a lot of people have that story. And so there are a lot of interviews, there's, there's print interviews, where he's telling these stories. And then there's actually like a couple videos, you know, where he's telling a lot of these, you know, war stories, and you hear it, like, from his voice, you know, in his words, he's, he's like, uh, you know, cursing, and you know, like, like, it's, it's like a really um, amazing, like, visceral experience but yeah he he you know would tell these stories again and again and and there's kind of like an endless supply of them like like i kind of just like scratched the surface you know for some of the there's there's plenty more and and again um he's told these stories a number of times in a number of different ways so you kind of have to read between the lines a little bit and you know it's some sometimes some of the stories Um, You're not sure if he's describing like two separate incidents or if he's describing like the same incident, you know, from like a slightly different vantage point or whatever. But but yeah, it's um, there's a lot of them out there. I mean, it would have been great uh, to have, you know, all of them, you know, completely documented. But but what's out there is a pretty large number.
0: Yeah. And your book has to cover, you know, this this long epic life. And so like you get into it and it's just like page it's like builds and then we move on and it's. Man, it's great pacing, and I was like, oh, I could read, I could read two hundred pages of just Jack's, you know, nineteen forties time in in the war, and then coming out of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, this like I I did this book as like an all in one, you know, standalone graphic biography, you know, whatever, however you describe it. But it could have very well been like just like a regular comic, like a series, just like you know, okay, here's here's what's happening in uh, Kirby's life this month, and you know, maybe you know, gone on for like 10 years or 20, you know, like be this like ongoing. It's just, you know, this was one way to tell that story. But it, it there's enough material there for sure for like, uh, yes, like a like a thousand page epic.
0: You mentioned Joe Simon, of course, you know, co-creator along with Jack of, of Captain America. But the idea that not only do they, you know, work on they make Captain America, they also essentially create the genre of romance comics with young romance and Marvel. You know, we have a history of of tons of romance books but so he helps create that he helps create Captain America and then I started to think as I was reading the book almost like I go my brain starts going down this what if path because in the book you talk about how Jack was like trying to get into the world of syndicated comic strips for years and getting essentially nowhere and what if he had you sort of like almost a, a domino effect of what happens to pop culture if Jack Kirby doesn't go down the comic book route?
2: Yeah, I mean, if if he had, you know, found sort of like the kind of outlet that like Hal Foster had or something where he'd have like, you know, like a whole giant page of, you know, in, in the Sunday, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it, it would be amazing. Uh, the thing is, he was so incredibly prolific. Like if he did have a successful long running comic strip which like the closest he got was sky masters sky masters ran for like two years it was pretty successful it just kind of like didn't go the distance but i think if he did have like a an ongoing hit uh comic strip i think he would have had to still do comic books you know just to keep his pencil moving
0: yeah yeah of course you're right a 100 percent. because he was doing what 40 some odd pages a week at certain points or maybe more of comic book work. It's, yeah, and with his brain, with all his ideas, anyway, it, which is good. It makes me feel a little bit better about this what-if scenario. <laughs> Too many of our what-ifs end in, in despair. <laughs> and that's where my brain was going.
2: You know, he, like his comic strip work, like some of the earliest stuff he did, these comic strips are so close to like, what you'd call his mature work, like the work he did with Stan Lee and and the work he did solo in like the 70s, like the way comic strips were viewed versus the way comic books were viewed. I think back then comic books were viewed as like these sort of short stories that were maybe like eight pages long. You know, very rarely would you have a whole issue that's like one story. So his his comic books were these like quick little done in one eight page things or four page things but then his early comic strips were these like ongoing continuities that went from like page to page and had these like slow builds and slow burns and um we probably would have gotten to something closer to like what he was doing in, in the 60s and 70s if he had sort of found like a really good outlet in in comic strips, I, th- I think just because that that was how the comic strip medium was viewed as something where you could do ongoing stories, because it is very feasible that somebody is getting every issue of the newspaper, where it's not feasible that somebody's getting every issue of uh, you know Captain America or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, we didn't have pull lists back back then for the comic shops. There weren't any comic shops. Uh, it's of course. Jack's biography, and it's told from his point of view. But there are a couple of sections told from the point of view of his wife Roz. Uh, there's a bit from the point of view of Stanley. Why did you include those bits in there?
2: Yeah, I mean it. It just it just seemed like a good way to just like yeah, it's Jack's story, but maybe to add a little bit of perspective, like a different point of view. Uh, Roz, like, really was his partner, like his partner in life in so many ways. So it was kind of important to me to 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 give her a moment, and she had done like a couple interviews on her own, and and she she was in some of like the interviews with Kirby, she'd sort of chime in and stuff. So I really liked her point of view, like like the way she views all this stuff. And then with Stan Lee, it's like for the purposes of the reader and for the purposes of pop culture, he is Jack Kirby's other great partner. Now now if you look at like the span of Jack Kirby's life. Joe Simon is more of a true you know he was a partner for a longer period of time and it was more of like a like real partnership a real like business and and creative arrangement and with Stan it was like less so but still the stuff that we're like the reason why Kirby is you know so remembered is like largely that 60s body of work and i think a lot of people are coming to this book curious about Kirby but curious about Stan Lee too and they both had very different views of like, who did what, and this was going to be, you know, this is Jack's story. I worked really hard to be as factual and objective as possible, but it's still like it's, it's Jack telling the story. So I thought just for, for the sake of balance and it just felt right to like let Stan sort of, you know, chime in for a little, give, give him the microphone for a little bit, let him tell his side of the story before we, you know, go into the other side of the story.
0: There's a couple parts in there in, in the regular sort of story in the narration where Stan calls him Jackson. Did he really call Jack Kirby Jackson?
2: Yeah. Stan Lee is sort of famous for giving people nicknames and you know, being sort of like jovial and and, and you know, and, and jokey that way and you know, like there's jazzy John Ramita and, you know, stuff like that. That was Stan's thing and, and um, you know, it was there's like Stan Lee, the the real human being but then there's like this stan lee persona and character that was a very like deliberate creation that stan created and that was part of it and when he does sort of become more self-aware of those kind of things and, and and plays up those aspects it does sort of like bleed into his actual life and i i'd heard like a number of accounts of like why that duo sort of split up why you know kirby left and and one that that i came across in my research for this book that kind of blew me away was jack kind of sat down and he said i'm paraphrasing but he said something along the lines of like i felt like i created a monster in stanley like that that um you know he was turning into something that i wanted no part of jack saw him as becoming kind of like affected and and you know maybe this was just a phase that stan was going through and he kind of uh grew out of it you know sometimes that can happen if somebody gets really famous really fast it kind of like sends them for a loop and then they have to kind of like recalibrate and get the but from jack's point of view it was like it was very troubling to jack and and, and some of that does come across in that book you know kind of the reaction like which you can understand if you've known somebody for years and years and they've been a certain way all that time and then like almost overnight have this, like, reinvent themselves. It can be very, you know, uh, jarring.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I was thinking about, I mentioned the World War II stuff, the Jack's military experience, and you, you look at Jack's larger body of work and he takes, you see how he takes inspiration from from everywhere and sort of puts it into all these different cool genres and changes it and twists it and turns it into this, these amazing stories what do you think was where he was pulling inspiration from and thinking about? What do you think is foremost in his mind from your experience of research? The mythology that he was looking at, the sci-fi stuff that he was always pulling from, or those actual real-world experiences?
2: Yeah, I mean, he, he says that, like, those people in his comics are real people and that he knows those people. Like, So I think that is the big thing he's drawing from is, like, his own experience. And it's, like, sort of like an intuitive thing. It's It's not so much like, oh, this is you know, this character is my mother and this character's, you know, my brother. And, you know, but, but, you know, mainly like, like intuitive. Uh, But yeah, all those other things do come into play. And um, like when you're talking about that, like the 60s Marvel stuff, he had like worked in every genre prior to that. And it really feels like for that 60s stuff, he was just bringing all of that. He was bringing the romance genre Too. It It wasn't just soup. It was superheroes, but it was romance. It was war. It was sci-fi. Like it was mythology. Like all of these, you know, things were just kind of bleeding into each other and and creating this like really, um, you know, this amazing uh, brew. You know, this this uh, winning formula.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's almost unclassifiable in some ways. Um, You know, we also not just the 60s but Jack's 70s Marvel work is some of my favorite. Uh Black Panther in 2001 and and Captain America. I love that stuff. But it's a small step in in your book how did Jack feel about that body of work?
2: Yeah, I mean, he I mean, he like he always kind of like gave his all and he was always committed and he was excited about that sort of like second go-round at Marvel, or or you could call it like a third go-round if you count like, you know, the timely era, like the Captain America the original Captain America era. It seems like the 60s stuff, he was guns blazing and going for it and creating with like reckless abandon and then felt kind of burned and then went to DC and felt like okay here's my new opportunity and then went into that guns blazing reckless abandon maybe even more so but then it's a shorter le- it's like you know half the length of time and so by the time he came back to marvel you know you can only do that so many times you know i th- i think he was sort of disillusioned to a point so he did come in guns blazing he did commit but it just couldn't have that same energy that he had like in the 60s marvel stuff and the seventies DC stuff. And I mean, I, and I love that. I love his seventies Marvel body of work, but you can tell he was in there. He was cautious. He, he had his guard up. He had, you know, set uh, boundaries, you know, like, it's just like a very different thing than, than when you just recklessly jump into something and don't, you know, hold back. He was holding back a little bit. But that, that 70s Marvel body of work, it's incredibly idiosyncratic. Like, if you love Jack Kirby, you're really going to love his 70s Marvel stuff because it's so Jack Kirby. And um there was maybe, because of his, like, New Gods experience, there was maybe, like, a little bit of panic that gave the work, you know, like, a different quality, like, a really interesting quality. Uh, like, The Eternals is, like... You know, New Gods in Fast Forward. It's kind of like, okay, I've done the ambitious, epic God story before, and it got pulled out from under me. So I'm going to try and, like, cram as much of this stuff in as possible. And so it ends up being this, like, really intoxicating comic. Like, there's just – crazy revelations on every page in every panel you know like it would have been amazing to see the eternals run a hundred issues and and get to that like 50 year judgment or whatever but what the ground he managed to cover in those i don't know what is it 18 issues 20 you know 20 issues or something you know at a time when comics were 17 pages long it's astounding what he did yeah. there
0: yeah it could a hundred percent yeah i, I think it, it's a a wonderful story of and celebration of, of the man. It doesn't pull punches. It's, it's gritty and brutal and, and sad and sweet and funny and weird. And it's, it's Kirby. It's, it's, uh, it was a really great book. Uh, last question for you. This one's probably a tough one. Do you have a favorite Marvel story by Jack Kirby?
2: Um, I mean, that Mangog, like 1970s Treasury edition, it's like my first encounter with Kirby and yeah maybe maybe my favorite like like definitely of the marvel stuff that's my favorite like that's the thing i've gone back to the most it's just the story itself is so amazing like like again like every page is is a, is like something amazing happening the even though it's like excerpted from like the series it's still feels like a complete, you know, beginning, middle and end. And then just that format is amazing. To see like a Jack Kirby drawing that's like, you know, huge. It like if I really thought about I, I could maybe come up with like a bunch of different answers and things, but that's what my, my gut is telling me and what my heart is telling me is that it's it's that Thor Mangog treasury edition.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Tom, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for for writing and drawing and creating this this work and um, just Be well.
2: Thanks, you too.
1: Ryan, that sounded like so much fun.
0: Yeah, it was really terrific. Once again, you can definitely go out, get your hands on Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics by Tom Scholey, and then just read every single Jack Kirby comic that is available on Marvel Unlimited.
1: Yeah, that should be more than two. (laughs)
0: That's very many.
1: So next week, we have a very special guest coming in. We have the director of Marvel Studios' WandaVision, Matt Shackman. So we wanted to ask you guys, what are you most pumped about after watching the entire series of Marvel Studios WandaVision? You can tweet us your answers using the hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel. in Marvel. You can email them to twinpodcast at Marvel.com or you can message them to us on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash this week in Marvel.
0: And of course, please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show so that way we can read it on the show. Mm. See how that works? It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Nice. So last week, our question of the week was, what is your favorite modern? That's kind of like post 2000 Captain America story. We got a bunch of really great answers. So let's just dive in. Start with Tony at T Bizzlesworth, who says Cap is one of my favorites. His shield is my most recent tattoo. I really enjoyed the Captain America annual by teeny Howard. And I also loved Captain America the end from 2020. Both of those dynamite answers those are really great annual by teeny was one of the first comics by teeny that made me go oh she rules
1: teeny does indeed rule a whole bunch Mm -hmm. we have this one from kelly black widow 2021 at idcat 1170 which says the entire brew baker saga of the winter soldier that's my gold standard i think we're all with you and a lot of other people also brought up that run because it is iconic.
0: Yeah, iconic indeed. One in here from Saren, at Saren which says, Captain America Winter Soldier from 2004, the collected editions that were published in April 2010. I just want to say thank you to Marvel, to all the writers and illustrators, and to, of course, Jack Kirby and Ed Brubaker for our captain. So yeah, it's another vote for the Winter Soldier saga, which I agree with.
1: Heavily. Yes, we have another vote here from Harry Pledger at Has42, who said, Brubaker and Epting's run for sure. They brought back Bucky. Man, so good. Who the hell is Bucky?
0: <laughs> oh. Never you want to watch that movie. so It's just so good. Um, all right. Here's our pal Steve Agnew at Viking Prince, who said, Hey, Lorraine, Ryan, and James, throwing you a curveball on question of the week for my favorite Captain America comic. It's Amazing Spider-Man number 537. This is the Civil War tie-in issue when Cap gives his famous, no, you move speech. That's a great one, Steve. Thank you for that pick.
1: Next up, we have one from Frank Aguilera at Frank XOR. It's difficult to not pick a Brew Baker book, which makes it near impossible to not go Winter Soldier, but the death of Captain America is one of the most poignant analytical pieces in modern comics history something people should slash need to revisit
0: i love that suggestion because that's what i've been like sort of thinking about randomly lately because it just came out at a weird time and had a weird reaction but if the creators on the book are so good and the story that they were telling is such a part of their master plan i think that's a great suggestion i should go back and read that
1: yeah i went back and read a lot of these stories that are mentioned because i wrote a piece about all of the captain americas that have existed essentially and some good comics Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. let's see we've got one in here from idec anymore at marco botello 12 who says the ultimate's number one ultimate cap was a beast yeah that's a yeah that's good ultimate cap was also like the thinking of him being like this hardcore conservative like old school type of dude who just wouldn't take any crap and was you know what do you think the a stands for france all that business (laughs) I love it that's a great pick
1: nick tarkas at nitro circus 10 said i mean come on is there any other answer besides winter soldier perfect story perfect art perfect resurrection of the golden age hero in modern superhero climate
0: it is what it is it's real good it's real good we got another one here which is something that we talked about last week a little bit and this comes from kyle s at paragon kyle one and they say captain america 2012 Homeboy gets stuck in Zola's parallel dimension and has to survive. It's a great story. I fully agree. That one, especially the the art in that, I can like feel the colors. It's Dean White coloring over John Romita Jr. Mm-hmm. And those blues and those greens and those reds, they explode off the page. It's a beautiful book. It's really, really
1: good. Yeah. Next up, there is one from Philip Preston Gwynn at Bestosterone, which is hilarious name to me man out of time is ace easily my go-to recommendation for anyone interested in a cap story
0: Mm -hmm. right on all right one more in here from tim glancy at omg lancy which says captain america the new deal Love the real world take on Cap.
1: What a whole lot of answers. Um, So much love for Cap. It's very well-deserved.
0: One more suggestion uh, that just popped into my head that I wanted to put out there, which is a very probably uh, super underrated story, is called Captain America, Cap Lives. And it's from the Captain America run that was right before the Brubaker stuff started. It is written by Dave Gibbons. So it Dave Gibbons who penciled Watchmen and it is penciled by Lee Weeks who is one of my favorite most underrated artists of all time with also it's got they use some Jack Kirby stuff in there and some John Romita stuff and some Cassidy stuff and it is this just incredible sort of alternate reality Captain America story that I may have to read it tonight. Because I just wow. remembered it and I'm so excited about it. Issues like 17 through 20 of this Captain America run from like early 2000s. I swear, everybody should go read it. It's so good.
1: I'm going to have to go back and read that myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Once you're done reading that, you can celebrate because this episode of This Week in Marvel is done and it was produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Percy of Berlin, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos.
1: Our audio development manager is Brad Barton.
0: And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio.
1: And special thanks to Caps Taps. Shield your feet with a tippy-tap feed. Caps Taps, the tap shoes for superheroes. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine.
0: And this is Marvel.
1: Your universe.